1 John chapter 1, verse 5, the apostle writes and says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. So we got the message from Jesus, and now we're turning around and we're declaring it to you. We're witnesses that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. Ancient Gnosticism and today's Neo-Gnosticism are an affront to Jesus' incarnation and to Jesus' deity. They go completely against what the Word of God says. They contradict what the Spirit has given to us. They go against the message that John has written here, and I hope you got to hear the last session if you weren't here, because he is an unimpeachable witness along with the other apostles. He saw Jesus. He heard Jesus. He handled Jesus. And he was willing to die for the truth of who Jesus is. So this Gnosticism, to be wrong about Jesus, is to be wrong about God, is to be wrong about forgiveness, is to be wrong about fellowship, and it's to be wrong about eternity. The first verse we read, read verse 5, about the message we've heard from him and we declare to you, John continues to give his testimony of Jesus, passing on what he learned, what he was willing to die for, delivering it to us. He's declaring some truth about Jesus to me and to you. And what is his declaration? Number one, that God is 100% good. Do you see it there in the Bible? That's the first exclamatory point for us this evening, that God is perfect. He's 100% holy, that in him there is no darkness at all, that he is light. This is not good the way that we often define good. Don't we say, like, that's a good job, or that's a good idea, or I'm doing good? Usually when we say good, it's compared to bad, isn't it? It's relative, so to speak. That's not the good that the word speaks of here, when it says that in him there is no darkness. In him there is all light. He is all good. It's hard for us to even fathom what 100% good is, because all we've ever known is ourselves and the world around us. But in him there is no darkness, pure light, all holiness. This is who Jesus is. That's who God is. Now, saying that God is 100% good, that refutes Gnostic teaching because they believed and believe, neo-Gnostics believe, that the physical is always evil, that your body is just matter, and because it's physical, it's automatically going to be evil no matter what. So some Gnostics tried to say, well, Jesus didn't come in the flesh, and John says in the verses we read before worship, during worship, that my hands have handled the word of life. We touched Jesus. He wasn't a ghost. Later on, he writes, if you want to turn ahead in this very book to 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come 
in the flesh is not of God. Very clear. Jesus came in the flesh. Now, other Gnostics would say, well, if Jesus came in person, he must have been a little bit evil and a little bit good. You see, because they believed that the human body had to be evil all the time. So those of the Gnostics who believe that Jesus did come in the flesh said, well, he couldn't have been all good. He couldn't have been all light. He couldn't have been 100% holy because he had a human body. Maybe he was like part-time God. No, Jesus came in the flesh, the incarnation of Christ, and Jesus was and is 100% God, although he was 100% man. Coming in the flesh, all good. John saw and heard and touched Jesus' 100% perfection for days and for weeks and for years, conversation by conversation, action by action. Think about that. He was witnessing, yes, the flesh of Christ, yes, the physicality of Christ, but also the perfection of Christ. We often talk about Jesus' biological brothers and how they were not saved until after he ascended into heaven or after the resurrection. But I think of the disciples also coming to that realization, this one that I am with is God in the flesh. I'm with him all the time. I see him every day. I'm hearing what he says. And the realization that you're in the presence of God as you're beholding Jesus. And he's very ardent about what he writes here in this epistle. Now, as the Lord draws you in, you will desire more and more his pure light, his 100% perfection. You won't want a little bit of evil sprinkled in. You won't want a little bit of darkness. You won't see wickedness as kind of, oh, it's mysterious. I want some of that, a, a little bit of that. You know, there's nothing mysterious about wickedness. It's actually pathetically predictable. It ends in destruction every single time. As God draws you near to him in his holiness, he will make it so that you don't want anything to do with evil. Do you remember a time in your life, maybe you're there right now, and evil was kind of interesting to you, intriguing to you. You thought, if I can have a little bit of that just mixed in, it can't be all that bad. Wrong. As the Lord draws you near, you see, all I want is him. It's, if it's of him, if it's of light, if it's of holiness, that's what I want. Let the light of God draw you so that you have new appetites. Why would you want anything else but him? Why would you want just a little bit of, of darkness? Well, I, the Lord is wonderful, and 90% darkness is just great with me. I hope that your heart yearns for more than that and says, you know, if it's of the world, I know I'm in the world, but I, I don't want it. I don't want the darkness. What good does it do me? It doesn't do me any good. In fact, it destroys me. It tears me down. It draws me away from my walk with the Lord. New appetites. Feed those new desires and starve what you know is not of God. If you do, you're not going to be missing out on good. You'll be gaining good, the goodness of God. So first of all, the first exclamatory, I won't yell in my microphone, God is 100% good. talk loud enough without the microphone, so if I yell, it's just like, boom, hits you between the eyes. Look at verse 6, look at verse 8, look at verse 10, the even verses right there in front of you. If we say, if we say, if we say, like this pattern that John is exposing, like there's a way of thinking that is corrupt. 
It's a flawed thinking. It's not a biblical reasoning. And most of us would not say these things out loud, but we can say them to ourselves. And at times we'll say them to others, even though it's a detriment to them. But what he's saying is there's a certain philosophy. There is a false justification in the way that we can think. Flawed thinking doesn't just affect our minds. It affects the way we live our lives. Just the way that biblical doctrine affects the way that you lived your, live your life. Flawed thinking affects the way that you live your life. And it leads to sin. Oftentimes people accept the way of thinking because they want to live a certain way. Isn't that the truth? It's not that that way of thinking, that philosophy, that doctrine is really true and it's, they've really vested their interest in it. What happens with us is sometimes when we're in the flesh, we adopt a certain philosophy because it allows us to live the way we want to live. And we're seeing that in our world all over the place. It doesn't have anything to do with what's reasonable or logical or certainly biblical. It has way more to do with what I want to do in my life, right? I don't care about the line of reasoning. I just want a license to sin. Now, it's shocking to say that out loud, but can we deny that it's the way we operate sometimes? We can't. We must beware. Flawed thinking leads to flawed living. If we say, if we say, and he's going to debunk these ways of thinking one after the other. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. And he, you might be asking, why are you putting these in the context of we? Well, because he does, right? He says, we, we're prone to this false way of thinking, this depravity. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the lie of Gnosticism also affects the way people see their bodies and their spirits. Yes, Gnosticism lies about Jesus, which is, he's the worst one to lie about. But it also tells us lies about our own bodies and our own minds and our own spirits. Now, it's, it isn't lab, labeled neo-Gnosticism often because right now, a lot of Americans, it depends which poll you look at, between 40 and 60% of Americans say that they're spiritual, but they don't identify with any certain religion. They, they refuse to label themselves. They just, they're just, on the survey, they say none. Like, I'm spiritual, but what's your religious affiliation? They say none. So they're the nuns, right? And oftentimes, they borrow such people from all kinds of different places. It's just a smorgasbord. It's a hodgepodge of Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, Gnosticism. I'll say, oh, that's a Gnostic idea. No, it isn't. I thought of it. No, you didn't think of it. This is where it comes from. Oh, that's Confucianism. Oh, no, no, no. I'm like, dude, that's really old. That's Taoism. Ooh, that's old. So a lot of people that you'll talk to about the Lord try to get to the heart of where they're at. They say they're spiritual. They don't even know what to call it. It's sprinkled in a little bit of this. That's part of the arrogance of it all. Have you even heard the phrase, many have taken to using it, my truth? As if truth is something relative. As if truth is something that we make up like our own individual creation. So he's warning us about these ways of thinking because Gnosticism can definitely influence the way we see our bodies and the way we see our spirits. So even though they might not call it anything, a person, how does neo-Gnosticism affect the way people see their bodies and their spirits? 
Well, it can be like this, and there are different branches of Gnosticism. My body's bad. It always will be bad. I can't help it. I'm mere matter. I can't be pure in the flesh. I can even quote scripture. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? See, my, my body's corrupt. It's falling apart. It's sinful. I'm always going to be depraved. But my spirit is in fellowship with God. I hear him often. I walk with him. My flesh is fallen, but my spirit is strong. Now, let me clarify this. Our bodies are breaking down because of sin. We live in a fallen world. And, and we see the toll that being sinners takes on us. We don't, you know, at a certain point, we're not getting stronger and stronger. We're getting weaker and weaker. It's the toll. It's the destruction of sin in our bodies. I'm not saying that that's not a reality. But this is saying, oh, you know, I, I've resigned myself to allow my body to live in the flesh. I, I know I'm getting old. We live on a really big hill, and we're outside playing with the kids, you know, volleyball or basketball. And just the other day, if the ball starts to roll towards the downhill, it's a really bad thing. Like, you, you won't get it back for, it's, it's like 350 yards down the hill. It's like forever. So it starts to roll, and everybody's like, get it, get it, get it. As other people running, the family encourages them, get, get it, go. I started to take off for the ball. And instead of, get it, my children yelled, it's not worth it. <laughs> Literally. That's what they yelled to me. I thought to myself, now I know. And it's, it's not worth it, right? It's not worth it. I'm breaking down. But does that mean that we should just turn our bodies over to the sins of the flesh? Does that mean we should just say, oh, you know, this wretched man that I am? No, thanks be to God, because he leads me in, in triumph. Even though I'm living in a body that's decaying, my body doesn't have to be given over. So this feeds right into emotionalism and compartmentalizing our lives in the guise of Christianity. So God exposes the lie right here. He puts it so clear, so clearly. A person can't be in fellowship with God and fulfill the flesh. Such a person is not practicing the truth. They're not proclaiming the truth. Fellowship with God changes the way that we live our lives. Bottom line, that's the truth. We're lying if, if we say it's any other way. I will appeal to your conscience. Let me ask you this. Does hypocrisy sit well with you? Even if you're at the place where you're not willing to accept what the Word of God says, that the Lord can and does change the actions that flow through our minds and our bodies, does hypocrisy appeal to you? Can you respect someone who says one thing and does the other? A person who talks a lot about philanthropy, but they're really, really greedy. A person that talks about purity, but they're watching pornography. A person that is like a health food expert, but they eat a ton of junk food. Like a fitness trainer who's not fit. How does hypocrisy or duplicity hit you? How, how do, you do you receive that? Do as I say, not as I do. That usually doesn't attract us. I see parents that give these talks about raising kids right, and their kids are unruly. And I'm thinking, why do people listen to them? It, like duplicity, hypocrisy. We don't want phony friends. We don't want phony mentors. We don't, want to, we don't want to be phony. It doesn't resonate with us. It's ugly. That standard came 
from God. He put it in your soul. He's your maker. He's your designer. And for many of you, he's, he's your Lord. So how can somebody say, well, my body is going to be doing all kinds of unholy things. But I'm still very spiritual. I'm still really close to God. My body doesn't stand a chance, but my spirit is just high on the Lord. We're seeing this a lot in our society, this compartmentalizing. And by definition, it's when you divide anything up into sections or into categories, and then you refer to those different divisions like you've got your, your psychological self, your emotional self, your physical self, your spiritual self, and that we're not integrated, we're not connected. And that, well, that's, that's that person over there. That's my physical self. It's just totally silly. Don't, oh, don't mind my body. He's usually bad. He does some terrible things. This, this hand, he just hits. I don't know what's wrong with him. It was my, these lips, if they're just lips, I can't control what they say. So you see how the hypocrisy and compartmentalizing our lives. It's just all a lie. Beware of this, the idea that I can be an absolute wreck in my body, but that doesn't matter because spiritually speaking, I'm close to the Lord. My spirit is walking in the light. I think of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans six twelve. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Your members, literally your body parts. Don't say, here are my hands to do the will of the devil. No, don't do that. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Emotionalism. There's also a fake Christianity today that many are living in. It is to feel very moved, but have little to no change in action. It is to think, I'm very connected to God, but my life continues to be very, very corrupt. It's almost as if there are those who seek this emotional high, but it doesn't translate to how life is lived. Like it might, that might be a spiritual experience. I acknowledge that, but it's not a Holy Spirit experience. This is promoted all over so-called Christian music by many so-called Christian teachers. It's just this chasing of emotion, but it doesn't translate to a changed life. Beware of that. It's, it's a lie, and it's being sold. It's, why does it sell so well? Because it fits the way people want to live. Oh, I still want the spirituality I still want the feeling. And let's get this straight. Emotions aren't always evil. I mean, you guys know me. I try to hide it. I'm pretty emotional. But usually those emotions are bad, right? But there can be emotions that are very good. The Lord draws us in and uses our emotions, but we don't seek after the emotion. We seek after the Lord. It's a feel-good Christianity. It's a form of neo-Gnosticism. It breaks my heart to see people who, for years and years and years, don't have a life change. But they have this emotional enthusiasm about someone that they think is God. I know it's not the real Jesus, because Jesus is a life changer. 
he, he works in us and through us. It's his power, not ours, that's for sure. So flawed thinking leads to flawed living, exposing that and saying, you know what? I don't want to be a liar. I want to be true to what the word says. Let's go to seven now. So that second statement was that flawed thinking leads to flawed living. That would be number two. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So walking, we can either walk in the spirit or we can walk in the flesh, but walking is a way of life. It's a way of living. It's a lifestyle. It's what we do with our bodies, our minds. It's, it's what we pour our hearts into. And when we're in fellowship with God and with one another, then we are in the light. This, we have fellowship with one another, is going to keep popping up in the book. And fellowship with God just sounds wonderful to me. He's so good. We're going to learn he's so forgiving. But fellowship with one another just keeps being in there. Do you see that? It's like it goes right along with this pure life, doesn't it? We have fellowship with one another because we're both in Christ, seeking after him, walking near to him. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So here's a third point. If anyone denies that they are a sinner, they're a liar. Or anyone who denies they're a sinner is a liar. So this verse is definitely for people who think that they don't sin. But it's also for people who try to separate the physical from the spiritual. When you read this verse on the surface and you don't know some of the background of what the churches were facing in regarding Gnosticism, you might think to yourself, boy, there are people who really think they don't sin at all. It's hard to find a person like that. And you have a realistic discussion with them. Like, do you, do you think you ever do anything wrong? It's hard to find somebody that says, I'm flawless. Right? There are some people every once in a while. But you see how this is a clear statement about the person who says, I don't have sin in my spirit. I might have it in my body, but I don't have it in my spirit. This, this is a great verse for that person that's trying to compartmentalize themselves. First of all, it's for people who think they don't sin. Now, such a person usually sees themselves as better than most. Have you been there before or have you seen that before? As long as I'm better than the majority, then I'm doing fine. Well, that's not what the verse says. If we say that we have no sin, if we say that we have zero sin. But the idea is as long as I stay in the upper half, or some people actually think, well, I'm probably in the top 10% at least. I definitely don't think that about myself. I look at that, I'm thinking, so then they say I'm practically perfect. According to verse 8, if somebody thinks that way, they are self-deceived, right? Self-deception. The sin is still there, even though they're covering it up by comparing themselves to others. The sin is still there. How about if the measuring stick is the law of the Lord? Well, then the sin is quickly revealed, isn't it? Have you ever lied? Most people will admit that they have. Jesus said that if you look with lust in your heart, that that's a sin. Have you ever looked with lust? Most people will laugh, <laughs> yeah, and then, then say, oh, yeah, or, or yeah, right? They'll admit that. Have you ever stolen anything? Some, some will say yes. Some will say no, but the ones that say no are liars, right? They, 
But the law of the Lord reveals sin to us. But realize this, that it takes the Holy Spirit to convict of sin. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. So you know who he is. It's one thing to know something's wrong, but it's another thing to be convicted. And to say to somebody, are you convicted about that? Well, uh, if you are, that's the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, drawing you to himself and showing you that who you are and how you live is not acceptable, acceptable to God. That's powerful. That's hopeful to say, I, look, I'm convicted. I don't want to be that person that says I have no sin and deceive myself and the truth is not in me. This deceiving ourselves, doesn't that mean to believe our own lies? I, I don't know the way this works with other people, but sometimes it's like you tell a lie and then you know it's not right at first, but then you say it so many times that it starts to seem, maybe this is the truth. It's an altered reality, isn't it? Deceive ourselves. What else does it say if you skip to verse 10? If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the Gnostics and God both can't be right. Somebody's gotta be wrong and it's not God, but you're making God out to be a liar. Any person who says that they have no sin and the truth is not in us. We're speaking dishonestly. That's what verse 10 adds. So now, great verse, verse 9. I hope you have it memorized, do you? Final point, confess and be cleansed. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the answer isn't to cover the sin, it's to confess the sin. The answer isn't to explain it away. The answer is to admit it to Jesus, to bring it to Jesus. Sins of our minds, sins of our bodies, sins of our hearts. Now look at the verse. Our forgiveness is not based on our faithfulness. You just thought to yourself, yes, because if your forgiveness was based on your faithfulness, you wouldn't be forgiven very often, would you? Your forgiveness is based on the faithfulness of God. If you confess your sins, he is faithful. He is the faithful one. He hasn't turned me down once. Has he turned you down? When you confessed your sin, when you repented, did he say, no, you've reached your limit? Or no, my inbox is full. Or no, I'm tired. Or no, that's just one too many. No, he is faithful. It's his character. Our forgiveness is based on on the faithfulness of God. That's real forgiveness. That's the forgiveness that, that I need. But then it also says here that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. That means he's fair, completely fair. How can he be fair and wash my sins away? I mean, that's not fair. It's not fair to have your sins washed away. You should pay for them. How can that be right? Well, because Jesus is the just and the justifier. He paid the price for our sins on the cross so we can be free from eternal punishment. And if you look at the end of verse 7, it's right there again. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This 1 John 1.9 is a justification verse and a sanctification verse. Confess your sin. Turn from your sin. Repent of your sin. 
And he'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll be the just and the justifier. He'll take your place. But it's also a sanctifying verse because we just keep coming back to Jesus time and time again, don't we? Over and over again, continually being cleansed. This cleansing is complete. It says it right there in the verse, all unrighteousness. I read to you from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Instead of hiding, instead of having excuses, instead of feeding the flesh, instead of being buried in guilt, keep confessing your sin to Jesus. He's faithful. He'll take you. He'll wash your sins away. Don't be compartmentalized. Be sanctified. Don't come up with some reason why it's okay to live your life apart from God and the flesh and think that you're still okay spiritually. Instead, say, Lord, I want to be set apart for your glory. There's the promise right there. And he delivers it so straight, so clear right here in the first chapter. Keep coming back to it. What hope we have because of Jesus. Lord, I know that you're the only good one. It's really clear that we're not good, Lord, and that this world isn't good. Far from it, Lord. Wickedness, evil, depravity all around us. And we can come and take refuge in your goodness, in your righteousness, that you actually impute righteousness to our account. You fill our account up with your righteousness by your grace. Lord, I pray that this would be a life changer for us. That being saved, that being set apart would change us, Lord, from the inside out. If it's real, it will. And I pray for those that are duped, those that are tricked, those who are living in lies, Lord, that you would convict them and draw them near to you. I thank you for the clarity of your word and for the comfort of your word. In your name we pray. Amen.